Well, good morning. It's good to see you. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. You want to turn there briefly, and then we're going to head from Ephesians over to First uh, John. So, go to Ephesians first. So good to be together today and uh, to worship the Lord and to look to His Word and to pray together and pray for one another. Um, I don't know about you, I am so ready for a time change. This morning, I mean, it was pitch black when I got up. I'm like, what is going on, right? Uh, the time change is still in effect, although it could change one day, but uh, the first Sunday in November will be different. We'll have a little more light in the morning, okay? It means we'll go to bed earlier, though, because it'll be darker at night. Just uh, keep that uh, in front of your mind. You get a little extra hour of sleep. First Sunday of November, set your clocks, fall back. Um, Again, we are in Ephesians 4. We are going to be heading through Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 uh, for the next few weeks uh, as we look at the series called The Family of God. And we started this uh, last week. And there's going to be a lot. This could be a pickup series too later on to talk about the family of God. But it's really important as as we come together, as we gather together as the body of Christ, uh, I, I just think it's so important for us to understand that this is not just a, a club. This is not just like I'm getting my, this, this checklist thing uh, checked off for the day on a Sunday morning, uh, that we are a family. And, you know, Alistair said a little while ago that, you know, we did away with a greeting time. You guys remember that? You remember a greeting time? We used to have two songs in the beginning of the service, and then we'd do, our, do a greeting time. And everyone would stand up and turn around and shake each other's hand or give someone a hug. And everyone that felt uncomfortable would be like hiding, Right. And then, then after that, we'd get called back together for announcements and go back into worship. And, uh, you know, some people loved it, some people hated it. Uh, but one of the things uh, about a family is a family of God. We, we are built to connect. We are made to connect. And so there, there's an importance in that fellowship that we should be sharing uh, that fellowship with one another. Um, although that way kind of disrupted the flow and pattern of our, our service, we are, we are wanting you to, uh, to stick around for a few minutes and say hi to somebody, at least right around you, uh, for which in, in, you share unity within the body of Christ with. Today we're going to be talking about that a little bit and seeing kind of how that plays out. Uh, it's really interesting. You ever been like in, in a store, in a grocery store, and, and you've seen one of us, right? Isn't there like a kindred spirit there? It's like, oh yeah, like when I see you in the grocery store, I, I just like love, love and giving you a hug and catching up. I just know like this person is one of my people. Right? And it's not because you like the Dodgers, because you probably don't. I don't know. It's not because you maybe are a hunter and fisherman, or it's not because we share the same joy out of model railroading. That's probably not you. But there is something that unites us. Amen? What is that that unites us? It's Jesus. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing unity. It's, ama- it's amazing just knowing that you're there, that you have my back, that I have your back. And so when we come together on Sunday morning, it's like we're full of that. Each other having each other's back. And knowing that there's a unity and a special bond we share. It goes beyond that, doesn't it? This unity we talk about. This unity goes like, like when you ever been traveling, like you're in an airport, right? And you're sitting there at the gate and you're waiting for, to be checked in. And of course you strike up a conversation with somebody. What happens as soon as you know that that person knows and loves Jesus Christ? What happens? You're like, oh, you're my sister. You're my brother. Like, this is good. You feel like safe and secure. Why? Because of Jesus. Where else in the world can you find that? Nowhere but the family of God. So as we go through the series, you're probably going to hear me say that a lot. There is nothing as supernatural and divine and unique as the unity that is shared within the family of God. Nowhere. And there's, there's nothing as powerful and supernatural in the transformation of Jesus Christ over a heart of a human being than within the family of God and by the word of God and by the power of the spirit of God. Nowhere. You can get as many help, self-help books as you want. Seven ways to this, eight ways to this, ten new ways because these didn't work. Whatever it might have been, you can keep on going and try to better your life and maybe you'll have a little more discipline or maybe you'll look a little better in some ways, but in no way Will you experience a transformed heart and mind and spirit and soul than, other than Jesus Christ? There's nowhere else. So we talk about the family. This is not just, I went to church today. This is the place 
that we come and celebrate that unity as we lift our voices to the Lord, as we endear our hearts and minds towards one another and are united in the bond of fellowship in Christ. It's so important for us to do that and to know that. That's, that's so impactful for our hearts. So as we go through this series, I, I want us to, to learn again, what is it to be a part of the family of God? Last week, we started in, in the first part of Ephesians 4, and we looked at, at the character of the family of God. And I, I, I know it was challenging to me. I hope it was challenging to you as well. It's very, very difficult when we look at the character, right? Because the character of the family of God, let's look at Ephesians 4 together. Uh, Ephesians 4, looking at verses 1 uh, through 3, we're going to get through 3 today. We looked at 1 and 2 yesterday. So look at this passage. It says, Therefore I, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, this Paul, he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. This calling is calling into faith in Christ and into the body. He says, how do we do that? With all humility, all gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love. Those are the four qualities we looked at last week, right? You remember this? Like, like what should characterize the family of God? Humility. I hated that he started with humility. Like, can't I just say, I'm so gentle? No, he's like, no, because you're so proud. We're to be humble with one another. We are to understand the depths from which we were rescued and, and respond in kind to that, in reverent, humble fear of the Lord and in humble servitude and submission to one another. This morning, I got the privilege to teach youth Sunday school. Loved it. Back in my element, youth pastor, right? And, and I loved it. I mean, we, we talked about Miriam, we talked about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and, and as they escaped Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. Think about that experience for the first time. Like, you, first of all, you're stepping out on the dry, dry ground, right? And you're walking across to the side, and it's, it's like, what is going to happen with the water? This is scary. Someone made the observation that it was the uh, first aquarium ever, right? Because you look, oh, well, you look at the fish. But you walk to the other side, and, and then if that wasn't enough, that God allowed you to cross on dry ground, millions of people, you get to the other side and then you turn around and what do you see? The Egyptian army coming after you and then really quickly thereafter, what happened? The aquarium was filled with Egyptian soldiers. This is the power and might and strength and salvation of God for his people. What should be our response? I really, I walked across that so fast. I walked across it faster than you did. There's no, there's no pride in any of that. You are greatly humbled in reverent fear and honor of God as you have just witnessed his might and power. And that's the same thing for you and I as, as believers in Christ. This side of the, of the Red Sea, this side of the cross of Jesus, we look back and see how we were slaves to sin and death. And how Jesus, God, came down and put on human flesh. And that he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. When he died, he offered himself and died on the cross for us. He bled for you. He bled for me that, that you and I could look at him and, and trust in him and have salvation. And have forgiveness and, and no longer be slaves to sin. But be free to be a bondservant of Christ. And it wasn't enough that he just died on the cross for us. He, he was buried, and then three days later, what happened? He rose. The waves crashed in on the enemy. And he rose powerfully, defeating Satan, sin, and death once and for all. And you and I are looking at that and saying, man, look how good I am. In no way. We look at that and say, look how good God is. Why do we start with humility? Because we have to continually put ourselves in our place. And that's not in a place of pride. It is a place of great reverence and fear of God. And then we move towards each other with gentleness. Gentleness. Meekness. With patience. I've heard a lot from a lot of you, and I've had good conversations all week long. Maybe you're like, Brandon, had a lot of suffering long this week. Right? It's long suffering. It's, that's what it is. Jesus suffered long for us. We can suffer and be patient with one another. And then love. These should be what marks the church. And if, if those characteristics aren't what is marking your life and my life, 
we need to stop and think about this. Maybe I'm not really being a great part of the family of God because its character is one of humility and gentleness and patience and love. And what we're going to see today as we move forward in verse 3, we're going to see that the outcome of those characteristics is then unity. The outcome is unity. You see, you and I cannot be united if I'm prideful and you're humble. If I'm harsh with you, right? If I have no tolerance and no patience for you, if I don't care to love you and sacrifice myself and my own desires for you, there will be no unity, right? There can't be. How, how can there be in that setting? There can't. So we see Paul say, listen, the church, the family of God is characterized in, in these amazing virtues, and those virtues will produce then unity. And we'll see that the preservation of that unity is an important, constant, diligent work and concern of every single believer. Every single one of you who knows Christ as Savior, who claims Christ to be a Christ follower, your job and my job is to be concerned about preserving the unity that we have with one another. None of us gets a pass on that hard work. None of us. We are all part of that if we are part of the family of God. And unity, by the way, is Paul will see, say is, is not something that can be created by us. No church program or, or church gathering time or church policy manual creates unity within the body. It is created by the power of the Holy Spirit and comes as each individual believer humbles themselves to the Spirit of God, humbles themselves to one another, is gentle, patient, and is loving. It's up to us. That verse 3 then, if you look at Ephesians 4, let's, let's start in 1 again. I, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Making every effort. That's what we are to do. Uh, listen, I'm, I am so guilty of this so often that, that's, that there's something that comes up, a, a friction or something, someone said something or believes something or, or is challenging. And, and what's my first inclination? Not to make every effort for peace. It's like to make every effort for war. Like God has trained me for battle. Let's do this. Like I, I feel that in my heart. I, I want to I wanna resist and tighten up. Whether, and whether it's you or my family, my, I do that with my wife, Really? Or my children. My children are the, they're the greatest enemy of all sometimes. And it's so crazy, right? They're little kids, and it's like, they're, no, they're, they're this danger to me? <laughs> like, no. We have to be making every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're going to hit that mildly later, but the bond of peace, being a peacemaker, does not just mean being, uh, being passive. Sometimes I think, Here's what we think about peacemaker. If I'm a peacemaker, that means I'm watching something or I'm seeing something. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not one that likes confrontation. So what do we do? Just kind of uh, turn away and walk away. Like, that's not a peacemaker. Right? That's, that's a, a let it be at war person. Like, go ahead and be at war with one another. I'm just going to go over here. That's passive. War is still being fought, right? There's still a battle. And so what is a peacemaker? And, and, and the, the bonds of peace, when I see something that's not in line, when I see that friction or that resentment or that bitterness creeping up in, within my life or, or those people that God has put in my view, I am, I'm to walk towards that and to fight for peace. Humbly, right? Gently. That's how we fight for peace with patience and great love, but being a peacemaker is not walking away from chaos. Walking towards it so we can make peace. All right, so today, you've probably seen already, we're going to talk about the family of God and its unity. It's unity. Three things in this. Number one, we see its unity in the church's conviction, in, in conviction. Uh, turn with me now, if you would, to First John almost to the very end of the Bible. 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and then Revelation. 1st John chapter 1. 
What I'm going to do today, is, this passage, verse 3, is so short in Ephesians 4, um, and there's a lot within it, but, but I want to expound upon it a little more about this unity we share and where else we see it in Scripture so we can get a fuller understanding of what it is to be united. So we're in 1 John in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that is Jesus, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Now stop there for a minute. Put your finger there. This is, this is what John is saying. Like, listen, we have seen him. We have heard him. We've been around him. There's no question that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that all of our hope lies on. He's the one that it, it's without a doubt. There's nothing, we can't fabricate something because if we fabricate it, we know the truth. The truth is right before us. So as you and I, as the family of God, we need to understand that there is truth that is right before us. And there are lots of things that are fabrications, right? We went through our series, uh, at least part of it, uh, the start of it is designed then deceived. There is a truth. And there are all kinds of lies that want to sway us from believing the truth. John is saying, listen, we, we have seen it, heard it, touched it. it. This is the truth. It's Jesus. And we testify and declare to you, eternal life was with the Father and is revealed to us. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, now we also what? Declare to you. We pass on the truth. We tell the truth. We speak of the truth of who Jesus Christ. Why? So that. This is wonderful right here. So that. So we, we share that truth back and forth so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ it's about fellowship right coming to to proper convictions over the essential core truths of doctrine within the church it's it's so essential to have that we have to have unity there over those convictions and, and he says when we do it's that you and i would have fellowship with one another that's unity that we could share that what i said earlier like when you meet someone who knows and you know they know it's like yeah that's the fellowship John's talking about. Yes, that fellowship is surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's, that's a unity, right? That, that we have fellowship with one another over these essential core beliefs, and we're going to get into that more next week. We've, but we have this, this unity together over these essential core beliefs, and as we have that unity, we have this common fellowship, and we have this joy that raises up in us. I have found it. I told you, like the stories of being on an airplane or in a terminal or somewhere, somewhere just not even close to home where none of you might, might be. And I find a brother or sister. I, I, love, I love when I'm on vacation. I love to go to church. Because those people have this book. And those people have the Spirit of God within them. And, and we get to have this amazing fellowship and there's this amazing joy. And guess what they're singing? Jesus songs. There's so much joy in that. And we proclaim it to one another and we, we have this fellowship with one another. <clears throat> I think people think they're crazy or I'm crazy when I'm at a church sometimes, a different church than ours. Kind of pretend I'm a, I'm a lifer there and I shake hands with everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. Oh, you new this week? Well, who is this guy? Am I new this week? No, you're not new. But we're brothers and sisters and that's okay. So important. Our joy might be full unity we have fellowship over the essential doctrines of the faith first <clears throat> corinthians 13 if you want to flip there with me I'm backwards now a little bit <clears throat> first corinthians 1 sorry not 13 1 first corinthians 1 again the author here is paul who is the same author of ephesians so wanting to want building again on this what does it mean to be united? What does it mean to be in unity? We're going to start at verse 10 and go through 13 of chapter 1. It says, now I urge you. This is what, that's pretty harsh. I mean, that's pretty strong. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, like on behalf of everything that is holy, this is what I want you to do, that all of you agree in what you say there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same 
conviction. Man, that is powerful. That we agree? You get a room this size, I mean, I, we probably don't agree about much, right? You think, but there are some things we do agree about. And Paul says there's things that we must agree about, and that's what brings unity. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, For it's been reported about you, to me about you, that my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that, that there's rivalry among you. Like you've started to, to divide into factions, and we're this belief, and we're this belief. He goes on and says, what I'm saying is, is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul. Well, I belong to Apollos, or no, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. You ever done that? I, I like this Bible study leader. That's my person, right? Oh, I, I listen to this pastor. Oh, this is my worship team. This is, this is how I... He goes on, Paul says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Which the answer is what? Not at all. Christ isn't divided, but here we are, separating ourselves and pulling ourselves into these factions, dividing Christ. He says, that's not what you're supposed to do. Is Christ divided? He says, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Not at all. The unity we share is on these common essential convictions. It's surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our everything. Neat thing, one of the things, maybe you've experienced this. Uh, within our church, you know, we have elders in our church who give counsel and meet with people and disciple people. And, and it's, it's interesting that you, you might, uh, I've, I've had this experience where you come to me and you're saying something, you ask me a question, and I, I'll be like, well, that's a good question. And I say, here's, here's my thoughts. Here's my biblical thought on that. Here's what the Bible says about that. And then I've had this so many times, like, yeah, that's, that's what Jeff said too, right? Pastor Jeff, one of our elders, right? Or, or, you know, that's what Dave Holst was telling me too. Well, that's what, you know, Hoyt said, or, or maybe that's what my Sunday school teacher, that's what Jeannie Ogg told me too. I'm like, yeah, right? Shouldn't that be the case? Shouldn't that be that we're on the same page with the same doctrine, with the same convictions, giving counsel from the word of God by the spirit of God? Can I get an amen from that? Amen. It's like, it's, and sometimes, sometimes you like you ask me a question like this is what I think, and then later on you'll go and go ask Jeff. Like so, it's like that that kid who goes to his mom first and's like, "Hey, can I, can I go out and do this?" No, no. Then they go to his dad, "Can I go do this?" What'd your mother say? Oh man, like they're united, the same team. Like and then kid, what do kids love to do? Kids love to divide. Why do they love to divide? They get what they want. We are not different. We are not different. And this is so much more dangerous. Because what Paul says is we're dividing doctrine. We're saying like, well, this church believes this, and they say it this way, and it really makes me feel better about X. Or, or better about Y. And so what do we do? We start to move ourselves away from essential core doctrine to make ourselves feel more comfortable. That's not what we do. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's living and active. It's powerful for us now for rebuking and teaching and training us in righteousness. This is what it's for. So our unity has to be surrounding it, not some whim of teaching you found last week that's like, oh, this is really good. I, this is now what I believe. I, I, was, I was heartbroken this week. I had read, um, read something that someone had posted on a social media platform and just about this, this journey of their own deconstruction of their faith. You hear that all the time. Like, oh, I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm, and what people mean is like, I don't know, the church has kind of gotten stuffy and it's way too traditional and there's not really this amazing like, spark going on. Which I always would say, like, well, let's examine your heart first and make sure that what they're teaching is doctrine and let's, maybe there's something wrong, but more often than not, it's probably something here. I've been there, I've been there in these pews before in the same place. I'm just going to deconstruct. Okay, but as, when you deconstruct, you need to take away and rebuild what is true on top of it. You don't deconstruct because you want to get rid of that doctrine or that thought or that, that command. We don't do that. But I was heartbroken because they, they kind of went down this path of, uh, in this conversation of, of, like, well, someone said something maybe a little negative towards them. Okay, that doesn't reflect necessarily Christ, certainly not the attitude of Christ or the characteristic of the body. But it, it just gave them that permission to go out and do whatever they wanted. And they started to deconstruct their faith and started to embrace this, this own pursuit of, 
living my truth. That was a quote. How does that work out for us? What is my truth? What is your truth? Well, you mean today or three weeks, three weeks ago, right? Because it probably changed. We, we have to live a truth that is the truth. And so you and I need to be united on that. And as, as joyous as it is to be together with people who love Jesus and have been saved by him, it is also difficult to come together with people who love Jesus, right, and saved by him because they believe a doctrine that is going to sharpen us and polish off some of those sharp edges on us and hold us accountable to being united in the truth. Christ is not divided. We should not be either. Paul wrote to the Philippians. I said this verse last week. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord. Right? Together in unity over the gospel. Right? We're contending together for the faith of the gospel. And not being frightened away by your opponents. The threat to our unity is the world that is in opposition to the gospel. And the world is feeding us all kinds of lies and all kinds of things that they want us to embrace and they want us to believe. And we, and we start to kind of sway that way because maybe we have friends or family that are on the fringe of Christianity and, and on a belief, but they've believed it and they're like, well, they're nice people and I, I got to be nice to them. So you start to sway your theology. Paul says, That's what's, those are your opponents. Don't be frightened away by the opponents of the faith, but stand firm in unity. It should drive us towards each other even more. He says, this is a sign of destruction for them, opposing the gospel, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it is granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, unity and belief, but also to suffer for Him. Boy, it's so, so amazing to be together. I've said this so many times that, that when, when you and I share a burden, it's like cut in half for us. You understand that? Like that's, we're going to suffer, but the unity of the church as we come together, we get to share that burden and not carry as much weight. And Jesus would say, give it to me and you'll find actual rest for your souls. We are going to suffer by the opponents of the gospel. But our convictions have to stay strong. They will not be popular and are not popular with people who have not believed. The Bible urges us to seek unity in our theology, in our Bible unity, and unified in our understanding of who God is, of who Christ is, of who man is, understanding what salvation is and why we need it, what repentance is, and, and what obedience to the Word of God and the Spirit is. And this is stuff we'll talk about next week more in depth. But these are the convictions, the core things that we need to embrace. The end of our passage in Ephesians, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but he says, he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity. Unity in what? In the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Listen, the family of God is to be united in its conviction of who Jesus is. My question to you and for me is, do, do we have, do I have, do you have unity within the convictions of the faith? If not, we may be living in disobedience. We may be searching for another truth, my own truth, and we need to repent of that. Let me give you just an illustration of how, what this might look like or feel like. And I get that there's, there's a lot of room for conversation in some of these things, and I would ask you to seek that conversation out and seek diligently what the Scriptures say regarding the thing that comes to mind for you. But what ends up happening if you do not pursue that, you come into the building thinking, God really wants me to go to church. I really should sing to Him. I, I really need to get something out of it. But you come in and some kind of disobedient heart and some kind of disunity and some kind of division where I know I've set my set this thing aside and I, I'm not going to be united in it. I, I'm going to hold on to it. And, and I've, I've been there and, and you come in and you sit down and it's almost like you're the, you're the sad puppy. Right? You remember, you, you know what I'm saying? The sad puppy? You, know, you come home from work and you open the door and 
There's the puppy. It's over there laying down, cowering. It kind of has its, its legs over its, like its. What is it doing? Hiding. Why is it hiding? Because it was up to something. It did something. And it, it, it found out on its own. It knows better. But there's no affection. There's no unity. There's like, oh, I'm about ready to die. And, and that shouldn't be the way we feel when we come into the family of God. And if it is, it needs to be taken care of. We need to look at that really in depth say, what, what is the thing I'm holding on to that makes me feel like the sad puppy when I'm at church? That's not how we should be. And I, I guarantee you, I, I'm not going to treat you like a sad puppy. Right? I, I, I want you to know. I want you to know the Word of God. And I want you to grow in that. I want us to have conversations. So, and maybe it was one, that one time, right, I said something that was just kind of off the wall or didn't clear it up real well, and you're like, you really believe that? And then you went on for weeks and months thinking that I really believe that. And then as those weeks and months went along, Satan twisted those words into some other form of belief, and you were just sad and separated, and like, I don't know what I can even do about this. You know what you can do? Come talk to me. You say, hey, Brandon, I think you said this. At least I heard this. And this is what I feel that meant. Can you help me out with that? And I'll probably be like, oh, man, I, another shoe I've got to take out of my mouth, right? I put my foot in my mouth again. Or, or man, no, I did, you know what? I might have said it that way. I don't know. But here's, here's what I meant. Here's what my heart of it is. I, I, I want unity. And so I, it's not just me, Right? It's the person sitting next to you, or not anymore because you're upset with them. They're sitting over here, and you're over here. I saw you move sides. I saw that. You stay in your pew. Stay in your lane. But it's with each other, isn't it? They said something. Or they, they, are, we, are we always tactful? No. Are we always humble? No. Are we always gentle? Oh, Lord knows. Nope. Patient? loving we aren't always that way we should strive to be but we aren't so what do we what do we give we give ourselves some grace and we give our, each other an opportunity to to respond and i i, I come to you because i want to be a peacemaker and approach you in gentleness and graciousness and humility and love and i ask about it or i i i engage in that conversation so we can move towards unity the greatest the greatest thing that Satan has against the church, the greatest tool that he uses against the church, do you know what it is? Division. Division. If we, if we are not united, if we are feeling guilty, if we are at odds with a brother or sister, that Satan has eaten that up. He loves it. It's like, yeah, let's keep driving that wedge in there. So if that's you, stop. Stop letting him win and move towards your brother or sister and pursue restoration and reconciliation, pursue unity. The second thing about the church is unity. Unity, so is, is in conviction, we're united. And then the second thing is, it's from the Spirit. Unity is from the Spirit of God. Would you agree that making every effort to be united with other people is impossible on our own? Absolutely impossible. I mean, you look around the world, it's, it's just doesn't happen at all but we have a helper it's god the holy spirit and see when when we come to faith in christ and we trust in him as our savior and repent of our sin he indwells us he moves in takes up residence within us and he begins to tell us like hey this is what i want you to do this is how you should go this is how you should live this is what i want you to be about and it starts to move us. And I guarantee you, the Spirit of God does not move us away from other believers who have the Spirit of God. He moves us towards each other for unity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Just as, uh, as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are, what's the word? One body, so also is Christ. For we were all, Talking about the body, if you're a part of the body, we all were baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit. This is, this is what we're talking about. It's the spirit of God. 
that unites us, the Spirit of God that moves us. It's the Spirit of God that enables us to even begin to think about being humble. It's the Spirit of God. The unity that the family of God is to share comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates, fills, coordinates, orchestrates, and empowers the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God that drew you to salvation in the first place, right? He created the body, and He fills the body with His Spirit. He coordinates and orchestrates. He lets us think we know where we're going, but He tells us this is where we're going to go. He puts it on our heart, and by by the Word of God, what we ought to be doing. And then He empowers us who are weak and unable to do anything on our own. He empowers us as the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is essential to this. What did Paul write in Galatians? He talked about the fruit, right? What does this look like when the Spirit of God is working in us? Well, it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what's being produced as we are united in conviction and then united from the Spirit of God. This is what is being produced in us. Because we can't be humble and gentle and patient and loving on our own ever. Only by the power of God can we adequately do that for one another. The Spirit is producing a fruit in us. And it's this fruit that binds us together and and sets our hearts on unity towards one another. He goes on in this passage in Galatians 4. says, those who belong to Christ, they've crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Because that's what is at odds with proper loving care in the body, in unity, right? It's the, the flesh that's with its passions and desires. And it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Again, those are, those are tools of division that Satan brings into the body of Christ. Then Paul would write in Romans that, that let us pursue what promotes peace and builds one another up. This is, again, the bonds of peace. We went back to our, our text. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit that sows that in us. The unity we have from the Spirit promotes obedience and it promotes the proper care of one another. We are to care for one another. As we talk about this too, we need to understand what what this oneness beyond conviction should be. The Bible would talk about having a common oneness, a unified mindset or attitude towards one another. It's like, with my mind and heart, I want to move towards you and promote unity. Acts chapter 4, 32 says, the entire group, those are believers, who, who, of those who believed, they were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead he held, they held everything in common. Like, it's, a, it's a matter of you and I giving ourselves to one another of one heart and mind and being united in one heart and mind and not in the kind of mind that I normally would have, some kind of strong-willed mind or hardened heart, but the soft one that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. What's being stressed in this text is to have the same mindset right, and the same humility of heart, the same attitude, namely a lowly, sacrificial servant heart towards others. That when I think of you, I, I, I say, yes, Jesus. I think of you and I'm like, I just love you. I, I see you in the store and I, I want to give you a hug. Now I think the opposite has happened before too. I've seen you in the store and I'm like, not, I, I, hope, I hope not. But that, that's not how we ought to be. That's division same heart and mind towards each other. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3. He said, finally, all of you be like-minded. And, and he tells us, it's kind of a sandwich here. He says, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate, and then humble. And actually, the, the phrase for humble, the Greek word is humble in heart or in spirit or in mind. It's like, be humble-minded. So he starts out being like-minded, and then he says, in order to do that, you really have to be humble-minded. And what does that produce? 
being sympathetic, loving one another, being compassionate, going back to our Ephesians passage, being what humble and gentle and patient and loving. And what does that look like? He says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you might inherit a blessing. I said this a couple weeks ago, it's nice to be nice. The church needs more of that, right? We need to be united in that. Not in a passive way, but I, but I want to I be a blessing to you, and I want to get the blessing of knowing you and having you in my life as well. Turn with me to Philippians, the book of Philippians, if you would, please. Corinthians, and we go after Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 2. Again, building on what is, what is this mind to look like? What is this unity to look like from the Spirit of God? Paul, Paul shows this pretty strongly in Philippians 2, and you can study the entire passage later, but we're going to read verses 1 through 3 of Philippians 2. Paul starts out with the unity that the convictions of the, of the gospel bring. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, like if you have some encouragement from Christ, if any consolation from his love if any fellowship with the spirit there's number two right if any affection and mercy then he says make my joy complete by thinking the same way so right this is again attitude of the mind unity in the mind uh, thinking the same way having the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose what is that purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather the interest of others. Verse 5. Verse 5 goes back to verse 2. Verse 2 said, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way. What is that way? Verse 5, Adopt the same attitude of the mind, the way of thinking as that of Christ Jesus. What was his thinking? Oh, they're, they're on their own. No. The God of the universe humbled himself and put on human flesh. And Jesus was here and became obedient to the plan of the Father. And he gave himself up as a servant to suffer and die for you and for me. That's the attitude. That's the mindset he had toward us. And that is the mindset we are to have towards one another. That we would lay our lives down for one another. And in doing so, that promotes unity. But it's only available by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's my question. How are you doing yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know, Brandon. Well, are you at peace with others? Do you have unity with others? Do you have great fellowship and affection towards one another? Or are you at odds with others? Probably due to a lack of humility. You're at odds with somebody. I'm right, they're wrong, they wronged me. I'm going to take my position, I'm going to take my stand. I would say humble yourself. By God's grace and by the power of the Spirit, be humble and gentle. Be patient and loving. And be a peacemaker. Approach your brother and sister and right that wrong. Unity is what is at stake. And unity is so important for the family of God. Number three. We have the, the family of God's unity is in conviction over the essentials. It's from the Holy Spirit because without Him, we're nothing. And finally, the unity of the family of God is for the glory of God. It is that as we are united, we will continue to boast in the Lord Jesus and make much of Him. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your heart so there's a ruler that is not me and it's the peace of christ and then he says and be thankful you know what thanksgiving is it's giving glory to god thank you god you are the boss you are in charge you're the gracious one you're the kind one you show love first i only love because you first loved me and we give all glory to god we let god's peace rule in our hearts we move towards one another in unity and as we do it boasts that god is the greatest. We give him glory for our salvation. We give him glory for the peace that we have with one another and the unity within the body of Christ. Romans chapter 15, 
Paul kind of puts this all together. He says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Again, proper care, right? And not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. Remember last week I talked about who your neighbor actually is. Your, your closest neighbor is actually the closest person after God that is nearest to you. And that's typically within your own home. The children, that's your parents. Parents, that's your children and your spouse. Or if you don't have a spouse, it's your children. If you're single, it's going to be literally your neighbor or your closest friend and likely your church family. To love them first. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ took those insults for us. And whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. Here it is, the, the conviction we have over the word of God and over Jesus so that we may have hope. Right? What has been given to us through instruction and as the word has given us hope through endurance and, and through the encouragement from the scriptures. There's encouragement and unity again from the scriptures. And as we do that together, now he says, he wraps it all up, says now may God, may the God who gives endurance and who gives encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another from God, based on God. He says, may you live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that, you know how I love these, so that's. Why is it? What's so important about living in harmony with one another? So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. There's, there's 200 of us here. But there should be one mind and one voice. And as we leave, that unity reveals the glory of God. Like I said at the beginning, there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. There's nothing that can bond a people together across all cultures, across time, across craziness of, of governments. It, what binds us is Christ, the unity we share in our common salvation. Our final verses from John 17, if you would turn there with me. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I want us to see this about the glory of God again within this passage as well. John 17. We're going to begin at verse 21. Let's look at 20. We'll get started at 20. Jesus is talking and praying not only for the believers, but also for those who will, are yet to believe and will believe. He says, I, I pray not only for these, the believers, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So their word's going to go out and others are going to believe. And here's what he says. May May they all be one. I mean, this is his high priestly prayer to the Father. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. See what's happening there? Our unity is a witness to Jesus Christ. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you have given me so they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and, and you are in me, so they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me, or loved them as you have loved me. This, this is on display, the unity that believers share, that when we are in Christ, and that we are under the authority of Christ, and that we are one with God and, and Jesus, not in some weird way that we're God, but that we're one in heart and spirit and one in yielding our minds to the convictions of what he has taught us. We are one body, the family of God. Verse 23, what did it say? It said, um, so that they may be made completely one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them. God wants the world to know through us, through the unity of the body of Christ, that He is the Messiah, the only one that can save, and that He loves them and wants them to come to repentant faith for their salvation and eternal life. 
Nothing is better for sharing the gospel of Jesus with others than the type of care and unity we're talking about today. But nothing is worse than sharing the go- to share the gospel with others than disobedience and disunity within the body of Christ. If people see that within us, they don't want it because they're already experiencing it and they don't need more. What they need is unity. What they need is Jesus. These virtues of humility and gentleness and patience and love and and the supernatural divine unity it creates by the power of God with the Spirit is is the most, most powerful testimony that the body of Christ, the church, the family of God can have because it is in such contrast to the disunity all over the world. Christ unites us. That should bring joy to our heart and a conviction to be more loving and more forgiving. So are you united? Are you united? Are you united in your convictions and the essential doctrines? Maybe not. You need to ask yourself that. Are you united? Are you united from the Spirit with proper care for the body of Christ, showing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you united as part of the family of God for the glory of God that others would see the supernatural divine unity we share and be drawn and driven to Christ? Or are you divided? Are you divided in your doctrine and your thoughts? Are you living in sin and ashamed of that? Are you divided in your care for one another? And it's more about rivalry and resentment at this point. Are you divided so much that it's not about people seeing Jesus, but it's about people seeing you instead, that you would be the one that's found as right instead of Christ? If so, if you're feeling divided, then repent and seek to be united with your brothers and sisters and God that we would be the family of God that he desires us to be. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray and continue in worship. Watch the worship team to come on back up. We'll pray together. Father in heaven, it's, it's an amazing thing to have this unity that we share that is... Jesus and and there's nothing like it on the planet. God, what a what a joyous time it is to be with the believers on a, on a Sunday morning and any chance we can in between. God, when we see each other in random places that we're 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 excited to be together because we're united, or whether we meet a brother or sister we've never met before, but that loves Jesus and knows Jesus, and God, we we're united in that. It doesn't matter where we've come from or what our background is, we're united in Christ. God, let that swell up inside of us. That, God, our, our theology, our convictions would be what unite us. That the Spirit of God and the way that we let the Spirit of God produce the fruit of the Spirit in us and the care for one another would be what unites us. And, God, God, our desire would be for your glory. That people would see the body of Christ, the family of God, and their uni- unity they share. And people would, would want to know where that comes from. And we would point them to Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We ask that now as we worship you, that, God, you would... You would move us to overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving, giving glory and honor to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.